0: Welcome back to HackRack. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and I'm thrilled to have back with me today the one and only, or I guess two and only, <laughs> doctors Hassan Reyes and Kara Segna for the long-awaited part two of our lower, D- lower Extremity Nerve Block podcast series. So this is part two. We did Upper Extremity Nerve Blocks, then we did part one of Lower Extremity Nerve Blocks, and we're going to round it out, finish it up with part two today. So Hassan and Kara, welcome back to the show. Great to be back, Jed. Thank you.
1: Hi, Jed. So happy to be back for our third part here. Excited to talk to all of you again.
0: Awesome. So as we said, we're going to cover regional anesthetic blocks that cover sensation on the ventral and anterior leg. So tell me, what nerves will we be talking about that deal with that?
1: All right. So for your exciting education today, we will be discussing the femoral block and femoral nerve, the obturator nerve block, and the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve block.
0: Sounds like a blast. Let's start with the femoral nerve. What would you use a femoral nerve block for?
1: So the femoral nerve block is is excellent. It is one of the most clinically applicable nerve blocks that we have. You will use the block for procedures on the anterior leg as well as the medial knee. So things such as femoral shaft fractures, hip fractures, or various knee procedures. The nerve continues below the knee and then will become the saphenous branch, which provides sensation down to the medial ankle and foot. So we can't forget about that one as we do procedures in the operating room.
0: Great. And I certainly remember doing a ton of these as a resident. Um, So remind me, what nerve roots comprise the femoral block?
1: All right, so the femoral nerve is actually a branch of the lumbar plexus. It's formed by the dorsal divisions of the anterior rami of L2, L3, and L4. The nerve is going to pass into the thigh and then it's going to divide anterior and posterior and then into multiple terminal branches classified mostly as cutaneous in the anterior branches and posterior and motor in the posterior. The nerve supplies functions. Function to many, many muscles in the anterior compartment. So it is responsible for the quadriceps, femoris, the sartorius, the pectineus, as well as the iliacus and psoas major muscles. So it's a very important nerve.
0: All right. So, you know, we saw from the last uh, podcast episode that we did, a lot of people were writing in asking about uh, whether. There was a way to really know or asking which blocks were deep and which were superficial because I think when people are thinking about blocks, they're really thinking about anticoagulation and they want to know, you know, is my, if my patient's anticoagulated, can I do this block or how long, you know, do I have to do the whole like wait, uh, you know, a certain amount of hours after heparin stopped and all that stuff. And so, you know, for this block, uh, is it considered deep or superficial?
1: Uh, Thank you so much for that question. And thank you to everybody who wrote comments and called and emailed. So this is something we definitely wanted to address. It is a gray zone, actually. The way that um, Dr. Reyes and I and uh, the majority of regionalists that we work with define this is that the, the the femoral nerve block would be a superficial block. Our definition of superficial block is when you're able to hold pressure on that accidentally injured vessel that you may have hit with your needle um, and the way you do this is you know you prevent continuous bleeding. So what you should think about here is when you are pulling out central lines or pulling out arterial lines, how you then stay and hold pressure for about 10 to 15 minutes so that you don't have a continuous bleed. That's what I want you guys to think about when you're trying to decide superficial or deep. So femoral, it's only a couple centimeters below the skin, so you could very easily hold pressure. But say a subgluteal sciatic, it's very difficult to hold that much pressure. Um it, Within uh, the um, gluteus muscles.
0: Okay, so that's great. That's a good way to think about it. Are there any contraindications to performing a femoral block since we've just said that anticoagulation is not?
1: So this block is very simple to perform. It carries very low risk of complications and it's very um, successful because it's easy to do. Um, However, there's always going to be contraindications to blocks. So the standard ones apply here, such as patient refusal, or if you see a really bad infection or a burn, or you look at the site and you just think, nope, I don't want to stick a needle in that. Then then your gut is telling you don't do it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. Now, what about um, putting catheters in? Is the femoral nerve site a good site to put a catheter that you're going to leave in?
1: Yes. Uh, the femoral nerve site is a, is a great place to have a catheter. It anchors very well. It provides excellent relief. It, you just have to be a little careful because it's in that groin area. Infection rates tend to increase at about 48 hours. Um, however, it has a major role for narcotic limited pain control in the outpatient setting. You can send them home with those little pain balls that will last a couple days. Uh, Maybe for for this, uh, I wouldn't potentially send someone home with a femoral catheter, maybe an adductor catheter, which we'll talk about, because you do have to be careful about your risk for falls. Um, one really great thing that you could do with the femoral catheter is if you use it in conjunction with a sciatic block, you can get complete um, anesthesia from about the mid-thigh down. So thinking um, amputations and the phantom limb pain or total ankles um, for someone who has like a very high narcotic requirement, this is excellent analgesia.
0: Great. All right. So lots of great stuff you can do there, though you did mention something that I think we'll probably come back to when we talk about an alternative, which is the weakness that you can get. Yes, and the quads. All right. So what are the main complications uh, with this block? We just obviously talked about one. What are some others?
1: So one that everybody always wants to know about is your risk of neuropathy from doing the block. It is less than 1%. Um, we're closer to like the 0.5, 0.7, but it's, it's a lot easier to remember less than 1%. You obviously can hit the femoral artery. It's huge. Uh, the femoral vein is there too, so um, vessel puncture. But the biggest thing that um, is going to be a problem here is falling because you're completely taking out the quadriceps, by which I mean the anterior quadriceps. Um, One other complication to look out for is that you can have block failure, which would then convert to general anesthesia, um, which can make some patients and surgeons and anesthesiologists unhappy if they need to then instrument a terrible airway. And one
0: thing I'll say, I just actually had this recently where uh, our block team put in a um, femoral nerve block. I think it was maybe a fem pop. Um, and, uh, then it did not, the patient still had like complete sensation, um, after, you know, uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes later when we were getting ready to roll back to the operating room, when we were concerned, we thought, oh, that, that didn't work. We may have to do GA. We get back to the operating room, still total sensation. We thought, oh, you know, this isn't good. And so that we basically were getting our stuff together, planning to do GA and then they prepped and draped and we tried one more time and, and then, the patient had complete anesthesia. Uh, And so it is, uh, I think it's really interesting that sometimes it can take longer to set up. So you don't want to assume, right. That just because it's not immediate that that means it won't work.
1: Yes, we actually we run into that a lot. So setting expectations for yourself and for your surgeon are very important. It's very dependent on the medication that you use. If you use lidocaine, mepivacaine, it's going to kick in a lot faster than say ropivacaine, bupivacaine, and it also depends on the concentration. Um, we normally. Try to set the expectation that the block will kick in maybe full effect by twenty thirty minutes so that everybody understands it does need this setup time but we have found that happen if you just finish the block you take the needle back and the patient is immediately wheeled to the operating room that it, um, it's it's not soon enough right
0: and I think it can vary a lot right because depending on whether you're kind of Surrounding the perineurium, or whether you're inside it, or maybe I'm using the word, Is it epineurium? Do you want to remind me of uh, Hassan? What? What? Uh, where? Where are the various layers here?
2: Sure. So a um, couple things there. Uh, the outside layer we're looking at the nerve is the epineurium, and when a lot of uh, anesthesiologists are saying that they do an intraneural injection, they're actually saying that they're outside of the fascicles, uh, which are contained in the perineurium and endoneurium, and not, um, they're saying they're intraneural. That does not mean that they're going inside the fascicles where a lot of that true blue nerve tissue really runs. Okay.
0: So um, do we aim to be inside the perineum, the epineurium? the inside the epineurium is our goal.
2: So the, uh, it's really a matter of how uh, aggressive different, uh, regional anesthesiologists are. Um, I try to stay as perineural as possible. Um, some that are, that feel like, Going inside the epineurium gets them faster onset, for example, um, or for more primary blocks, they want a greater density of the block and achieve motor blockade faster, uh, they may go inside the epineurium. Um, but uh, in general, the guidelines are to stay as perineural as possible.
0: Okay. So that, whatever your kind of local practice is, and if you're a trainee, what your attendance practice is, is going to dictate this. But- Uh, certainly you will see a potentially different onset depending on whether you're outside or inside the epineurium.
2: Right. I mean, it goes, uh, I would say if you go inside the fascicle, which again, I don't think anyone should do because it's a major cause of nerve injury. Yeah. um, Your onset is probably going to be much quicker than if you injected perineurally. And I'll say ASRA and our national guidelines. And if there is any sort of nerve injury, uh, then unfortunately happens to the patient. They will probably get into: how, were you interfascicular, right. uh were you intraneural, and what does and your conception of that and what that really means to you is going to be important. If someone has preexisting neuropathy, uh, especially motor deficits. Um, even if I decided to do that nerve block, I would be very careful.
0: Great. All right. So, is this a topic that's tested a lot? Are our trainees out there going to see this on their in-training exams and boards?
1: Yeah, so um, everybody pay very close attention because we're going to do our favorite part of the podcast where we help you pass your boards and your ITE. This is a very highly testable block, the femoral itself. Um, It's going to be very similar to what we talked about with the ankle block where it's very heavy on anatomy and ultrasound imaging. Um, across the ITE, the written boards, and the advanced boards. And even if they don't talk about it in the oral boards, it's a, a high chance of getting this block as well as the interscaling block on the OSCE portion of the advanced exam.
0: Great. So can you give me some examples of the types of questions people might see?
1: Absolutely. So um, first, I just want to mention we are going to do just like we did with the ankle block. We're going to attach some really great pictures that we handpicked for you that we thought were the most clear and concise. So here's some typical test questions that you may see. Um, So don't forget, I mentioned it previously, that the when you do something such as an ankle or a foot surgery, that the saphenous, the branch from the femoral, is going to provide sensation to the medial ankle. So you will see a list-type question where you're doing ankle surgery. Which of the following nerves are important? Don't forget the saphenous one um, or the ankle ones. This is very low-hanging fruit. Try not to miss that that really great question. You could also have um, a nerve stimulation question in the form of knowing what Nerves um, will produce what effect? For example, if you're in the correct position and you are stimulating the femoral nerve, what the muscles that you will see twitching would be the quadriceps muscle contraction with a patellar elevation. If you see the sartorius, then you you're a little bit too anterior and medial. This is not gonna. This is gonna be potentially not as testable as the interscalene block where we talked about. Um, the phrenic nerve and the anterior and scalenes. But this is still something to to keep in mind that you want to see the quadricep muscle contraction with the patellar elevation.
0: Good. That's great. That's, I think, something I can totally see coming up on a test. So that's key.
1: So another type of question that is very easily testable is that they want to talk about the where everything is located. So something that we learned in medical school could be the the, the whole mnemonic navel, N-A-V-L, because going from lateral to medial, you'll see the nerve, the artery, the vein, and then the lymphatics. You It's also very important to remember the fascial planes. You have the, the lata on top and the fascia iliac on the bottom. And I don't know if this helps anybody, but I call the fasciolata the fascia latte, and <laughs> I think about it on top with the foam. I don't know. Nice. That's but, a good way to remember. Um, but where the, where the question is going to come is it's going to have it's going to say, where is the nerve in location to these fascias, and where is the artery? The artery is sandwiched between the two, and the nerve is actually below both of them. So they are not together, even though you might think they are. Okay, so that's just, just kind of remember that because that is something you might see. Great. Um, another question, potentially, I'm just going to say this just so you have some complete information, is where does the femoral nerve emerge from? It's going to come from the lateral border of the psoas muscle, approximately at the middle junction of the muscle, and it's going to come posterior to the inguinal ligament.
0: Okay, great. So those are nice key testable facts to know. All right, let's move to the adductor nerve block. Um, Tell me, what is that? What is the adductor uh, nerve block? I assume it's named after the adductor canal. What is the adductor canal?
1: Absolutely. So we talked earlier about the femoral nerve um, going in and branching off into anterior and posterior, cutaneous motor, etc. So the adductor canal is going, it, it's basically, like you said, like a tunnel. Anteriorly, it's going to be the sartorius muscle. And then posterior laterally, it will be the vastus medialis. And then posterior medially will be the adductor longus. It's going to house the continuation of femoral nerve um, and eventually become the saphenous nerve. And what
0: does the saphenous nerve cover?
1: The saphenous nerve is a terminal sensory branch of the femoral nerve. It's going to supply innervation to the medial aspect of the leg, as we said, down to the ankle and foot. But it also has infrapatellar branches that's going to supply the knee joint, which is why it's so useful for knee procedures.
0: Okay. And I was going to ask that. So what, what would make you choose this
1: block? So this block is actually becoming more and more popular, especially with the widespread use of ultrasound and the idea that surgeons want to mobilize their patients sooner after surgery and do physical therapy. Because if you can skip the motor component, then you don't have as high of a fall risk and these patients can actually do physical therapy. So it would be indicated for knee, ankle, and foot, just like the femoral block, but hopefully you are skipping that motor portion.
0: So it's a similar, at least for anything below the knee to femoral, but you know, obviously you're hoping that you get less yes. because you're, you're down lower, you're going to get less quad, anterior quadriceps weakness.
1: Yes. However, you do have to keep in mind that you still can get that weakness. So they still are a fall fault risk. It is not perfect. Not perfect.
0: Good. All right. And how do you prevent Uh, This from becoming a femoral nerve block, it's the same nerve. What's to prevent the, you know, uh, anesthetic from tracking up to get the femoral nerve where you would have injected it for a regular femoral nerve block?
1: Absolutely. So this is the key because right? we want to hopefully skip motor. So there's two things that you can do. One of the biggest things is volume. If you can keep your adductor canal block to like 10, 12 cc's, the chances of the volume tracking back up to the femoral nerve are a lot lower than, say, if you use 30 cc's, because there's only so many places this local anesthetic can go. The other thing that you can do is location. So what, what you want to try to do is you scan... You you want to scan down to the mid-thigh. It's a lot easier to do this block if you have the patient in a frog leg position. You put down your transducer, you find um, the bone, and then you move medial until you find... That You can sometimes see the adductor canal based on how the status of everybody's fascia, but you look for your artery, and then the nerve is almost always on the left side. But if you can come down the thigh, the farther away from the femoral nerve, the better your chances of not not having motor weakness.
0: So further distal and lower volume are going to help you avoid this problem. All right. And um, can you place a catheter here? We said the femoral nerve is a great place for a catheter. How about this, the adductor canal?
1: The adductor canal is becoming more and more popular. For catheters, I'm seeing it more in outpatient centers with on cue balls that will keep the block going for a couple days. And the surgeons are liking it a lot more, like I said, because your fall risk is lower. So, it, yes, people are really loving this block. And there's a less chance of infection because it's not in the inguinal crease.
0: Great and i would imagine um i want to ask you about what test questions you might see i imagine that you could see something about that the the less the lower risk of weakness and and that being a reason you might choose it but what other kind of test questions might you see about this block
1: so when we were thinking about test questions there aren't going to be many on the adductor canal block cuz it's still early and the questions tend to tend to have a little bit of a lag time but being able to identify it on ultrasound i think is going to be very key and I have actually attached those images for you so that you, um, you have them very easily at your fingertips. And then potentially the borders of the inductor canal, which I'll just mention really quickly one more time so you don't have to um, scan back the, the recording. But it would be the sartorius, the vastus medialis, and the vastus lateralis.
0: Great. All right. Let's move on to the fascia iliaca nerve block. I love that name. Hassan, I think you're going to tell us about this. So um, tell me, what is the fascia iliaca nerve block and what uh, indications do we have for it?
2: Great. Right. So the fascia iliaca nerve block um, helps us cover the anterior thigh and um, uh, knee surgeries uh, primarily. Uh, it'll also cover the lateral femoral cutaneous, which will cover uh, the lateral thigh as well.
0: So this is more proximal, right? This is going to get us a little more than the femoral nerve will cover in terms of proximal part of the thigh?
2: Yeah, so you're essentially adding the lateral femoral cutaneous coverage to the femoral nerve coverage.
0: Okay. And so what's the anatomy? Where do we do this block?
2: Right. So the fascia iliaca is, is a fascial layer, and so it can be traced along multiple muscles. Um, normally, we start in that uh, femoral nerve block view, and you'll see that the the fascia itself provides immediate covering of the femoral nerve and then can be taken laterally to the lateral femoral cutaneous nerves the fascia iliac is located anterior to the iliacus muscle and then um, as you continue to uh, trace that muscle laterally you'll see that it's bound superlaterally uh, by the iliac crest and merges with the uh, fascia overlying the psoas muscle
0: okay and so uh we said basically we get the femoral coverage um anteriorly and then the medial distal thigh that's right okay all right. So tell me, what is this three-in-one block? That you know, I remember hearing this three-in-one block. Is the fascia iliac a three-in-one block? Uh, f- at
2: the risk of uh, sounding uh, dismissive, I, I don't like to dismiss different concepts, but uh, uh, it's kind of like the unicorn of regional anesthesia. It's, uh, th- it's uh, the three-in-one. The three uh, uh, nerves uh, that you're talking about are the obturator, which is more the medial portion, your femoral anterior. And uh, medial, and then lateral femoral cutaneous was more the lateral. Um, and so it's almost like doing a lumbar plexus block distally without having to go deep to the lumbar plexus. Um, the unfortunate part is that uh, the operators is usually missed. And if you even you do a more proximal location for the fascia iliaca block, um, I just, you know don't see in the literature does not show a great ability to catch the obturator it just comes off the lumbar plexus too early
0: okay so if you want the obturator you really have to do that separately right and what would wh- where is the obturator covering that you might want to add that on
2: uh we'll cover that a little bit in greater detail uh, to follow but basically uh the medial thigh and the adductor muscles and then uh potentially a medial aspect of the knee
0: Great. All right. So tell me about how you would go about doing the block. Where are you going to scan and how much are you going to inject? Uh, Tell me how you go about this.
2: All right. So there are a couple of approaches to this block. Um, We'll start with the femoral approach. So we'll start the femoral nerve view that uh, Kara was talking about earlier. Uh, You're going to identify the fascia iliaca overlying the femoral nerve. The fascia lata is usually the fascia layer that overlies the femoral vessels and looks a bit thicker. Um, if, you're trying, if you're a little bit confused as to what fascia layer you're looking at. Um, you scan laterally within the inguinal crease to follow the fascia iliaca, overlying the femoral nerve, and then transitions to overlie the iliopsoas muscle and goes to the junction between the iliopsoas and the sartorius muscles. And we have an image of that uh, provided for you. Um, It's at that point that you inject 30 to 40 cc's of local anesthetic, keeping toxic doses in mind. So it's probably going to be a lower concentration uh, local anesthetic for you. Um, And you inject that between the sartorius and iliopsoas muscles. Uh, It doesn't have to be exactly in between, but basically underneath the fascia iliaca so that they're spread laterally towards sartorius and uh, spread medially towards the femoral nerve. And that's how you get both of those nerves.
0: Great. Now you said you might have to... Use a slightly more dilute anesthetic. So what do you like to use for these? You're doing 30 to 40 cts of what?
2: Uh, So you're probably looking at quarter percent bupivacaine. I largely deal with adults, uh, so I have a little bit more room in my kilos. So quarter percent bupivacaine or 0.2 percent ropivacaine.
0: Okay, great. So obviously you want to use what your local um, uh, guidelines suggest, but that's Mm -hmm. what what we tend to use here.
1: And, um, Jed, I just want to interject here a little bit. For anybody who's interested in learning more about this or doing blocks and you want to be safe Johns Hopkins actually developed an app for Android and for Apple phones that is 100% free. It's called Safe Local, S-A-F-E-L-O-C-A-L, and you it's very easy to download and you can put in your kilograms and it will look at comorbidities and tell you exactly how much you need for each drug, especially if you're using bupivacaine but your surgeon wants to use lidocaine. It will tell you how much you have left for the surgeon. It's very convenient. And it helps not make uh, math errors. That's
0: great. So people can get that from the app store or yeah. their whatever type of phone they have. Okay, great. Um, and just say the name one more time. What's it called?
2: It's called the Safe Local app. Two words, safe, like safety, and yep. uh, local, like Excuse. local anesthetics.
0: Excellent. Safe Local app. All right. That's going to be something really useful for folks. All right. So, Hassan, you said there were two approaches, and you just took us through the femoral approach. Mm-hmm. What's the other approach, and how does it differ?
2: Yeah, you're holding my feet to the fire there, Jed. So the second approach is the superanguinal approach. Uh, uh, this is a more proximal approach. So you place the probe in an oblique position, um, which means you're basically holding the probe like it's connecting a line between your ASIS and your umbilicus. Uh, you scan to find the iliacus muscle that overlies the iliac bone, where sartorius is in caudad position. And uh, if if you see a nice slice of it, external oblique muscle is in the cephalad position. So it's a um, it's you're talking in terms of towards the head and towards the foot, not medial and lateral. Okay, um, the external oblique muscle will uh, overlie the iliacus muscle if that's in your view, uh, and you inject deep to the fascia iliaca. Uh, so that you can see the depression of the iliacus muscle and the spread of the local anesthetic. Great.
0: All right. So let's move on to the saphenous nerve block. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I recently had a patient get a um, fem pop, but you also hear a lot about pop saph, so a popliteal and a saphenous. We already talked at the last podcast about the popliteal, so now let's talk about the saphenous nerve block. What are the indications uh, for a saphenous nerve block?
2: All right, and uh, I'll say that when we say pop saf, um it's a little bit of our slang uh, here at Hopkins. Maybe at other places, uh, I trained at Yale too before I came here. We also said pop saph, and UCSF yeah.
0: where I trained, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah.
2: So it's a pretty, it sounds like pretty ubiquitous uh, slang. But this, when we say pop saf in the slang, it can be femoral, can be adductor, can be saphenous. There, because we're talking about that distribution. Great. Um, so, so let's just, yeah, just to clear that up, the saphenous nerve block we're talking about here is in the distal thigh and is more sensory and, and has less motor and uh, will help you with the medial foot and lower leg because it is more distal. It won't necessarily
0: cover the knee. Great. So this is like a distal adductor canal.
2: Yeah. So if you kind of think about the leg going from proximal to distal, proximal femoral, adductor, and then distal to both of those, this uh, more distal saphenous nerve block. All
0: right. And tell me about the anatomy. Where is this located? So
2: the saphenous nerve will dive posterior to the sartorius muscle in the distal thigh. Um, It'll continue to travel medially uh, medially towards the medial malleolus along the medial side of the tibia. Um, And uh, we describe where it is along the medial malleolus uh, in our Ankle block uh, podcast, yeah. not to shamelessly plug, but uh, – and so we'll just kind of remind everybody that uh, when you're getting those ankle block questions and every nerve is sciatic um, except for saphenous, which has – you know I remember it or remembered it when I first learned it by knowing that the F sound and saphenous correlates to the femoral. Distribution.
0: Great. So the ph saphenous that f sound is going to clue you into the fact that it comes from then the femoral also an f sound. That's right. Great. I'm like those are great little things to help remember. All right. And how do you when you're trying to scan? How do you find this thing? Uh,
2: so first we'll focus on positioning. Patient will be supine. You externally uh, rotate the leg. Um, you're going to scan in the distal thigh and identify the femur and sartorius on the medial side. You can inject between the vastus medialis and the sartorius uh, with uh, local anesthetic, tracking towards the neurovascular bundle posterior to the sartorius, and so you can use the artery to also um, identify along, you know, where the nerve is likely to run.
0: Great. All right. So lastly, let's talk about the obturator nerve block. Uh, so, uh, as um, I think uh, we mentioned up top, L two to L four nerve roots here. Um, what are the indications for an obdurator nerve block?
2: So this is uh, an interesting one and um, is, is done a little bit less than the others. Um, I really like it uh, just, just because it has changed. Uh, it, it gives you another tool in the toolkit. It's not going to be one like uh, you were talking about with your case with the femoral and sciatic as the primary anesthetic, uh, but it certainly can supplement those. Um, one thing that people don't really think about, transurethral bladder surgery has uh, innervation from the operator, You could potentially use that. Hmm. Um, it can also be a supplemental block for uh, knee surgery. And uh, as an example, um, you know, if someone has a total knee uh, procedure, they had uh, a certain other type of um, femoral or adductor nerve block, and they had posterior knee pain. Um, for a long time, we would use sciatic nerve supplementation for that, the problem being, of course, that uh, when the patient has to go for physical therapy after surgery. You, If you knock out anterior quads with femoral and then posterior quads with sciatic, they that may be, may be a little difficult to participate in PT. So um, instead, you can do the in, obturator. Instead, we're figuring out that there may be more medial nerve uh, contribution from the obturator. And, um, you know, it's, it's still being uh, studied. I think Dr. Gaston at Duke does a nice job taking a look at it. Um, but uh, it can be a nice supplemental... Um, block for what looks what seems to the patient like posterior knee pain um, in a total joint procedure.
0: And so the patient is perceiving what they think is posterior pain, but it turns out if you take away that medial component, that may take care of a lot of it.
2: Yeah, it, it certainly can help.
0: All right. So what's the anatomy? Where where is this nerve located?
2: Uh, so the obturator nerve arises from the lumbar plexus, like the rest of our you know femoral uh, uh, nerves here. Uh, and runs on the medial side of the psoas muscle and exits the pelvis through the obturator foramen. Uh, It divides into the anterior and posterior branches, um, and at the level of the inguinal crease, the anterior branch runs in the fascial layer between the pectineus and adductor brevis muscles. Just distal to the inguinal crease, the anterior branch runs in the fascial layer between the adductor longus and adductor brevis um, and provides you another location uh, where you can block the anterior branch. The posterior branch lies in the fascia layer between the adductor brevis and the adductor magnus. And uh, if it sounds like a lot of adductors there, it's because there are. <laughs> um, so there's a little mnemonic there. Um, if you kind of think of the word Alabama, um, AL, adductor longus, is the most superficial. The AB in Alabama is adductor brevis, AB, which is the in the middle, and then AM is... Uh, is adductor magnus and is the deepest of the adductors. Hmm. Uh, the last A in Alabama is, you know, we just make it more catchy.
0: Yeah, you got to have it in there so <laughs> yeah. you know what the word is. So, yeah. all right, so that's actually super helpful. So mm-hmm. somebody found out that Alabama is uh, much like Sokotoa. That's I'm right. going back to my high school geometry <laughs> there you or go. trigonometry or whatever Sokotoa is about. All right, so Alabama helps you figure out uh, superficial to deep uh, the adductors.
2: That's right. Um, and as far as uh, the different branches, you know, why do I care that there's two branches? Uh, the anterior branch will innervate the adductor longus, brevis, and gracilis muscles um, and will provide that cutaneous innervation of the medial thigh if that's what you want to get. The posterior branch will innervate the adductor muscles of the thigh and perhaps get that articular uh, branch to the medial knee, where we you're talking about as a supplement to those total knee procedures.
0: Okay. And can you selectively
2: block one, the
0: other, or both?
2: Uh, yes, you can. Uh, they run in different uh, fascial layers, and uh, so you can decide on which one you'd like to block.
0: Great. And how are you going to scan to find these things?
2: So you uh, have a similar position to the other you know, femoral-based uh, nerve blocks that we we're talking about today. Uh, the patient's in supine position with leg externally rotated. You start scanning at the level of the inguinal crease by identifying the femoral artery and vein. You scan medially to identify the thickening of fascia layers between pectineus and adductor brevis muscles, and that's the, the anterior branch, and then look for adductor brevis and adductor magnus for the posterior branch. If the, ad, the anterior branch isn't popping up quite so well there, you can scan a little bit further uh, distally down the uh, leg, and you, in 1 to 3 centimeters, you'll find the anterior branch between the adductor longus the al and then adductor brevis, the ab, yeah. great. and uh, block them there.
0: And how are you? How much are you going to inject uh, for this block?
2: It doesn't require a lot. Um, usually, just about five cc's in the anterior and posterior uh, branch, five cc's each. Uh, you do want to be careful um, and look for the obturator um, um, artery. And um, if you if you can put some color on there, that's great. Um, however, it is oftentimes very difficult to see.
0: Okay, so making sure you aspirate, uh, make sure you don't get blood back before you inject.
2: Absolutely, as always. As
0: always. All right. So I'm guessing test questions around this are going to focus on stuff we've already covered in terms of what uh, you might use this block for. Uh, it's. I'm guessing probably we're going to. It's going to be a few years before we see a lot of questions on sure. this, but maybe medial knee that kind of thing. Uh,
2: and there are uh, a couple of potential questions um, when you have transurethral resection of a bladder tumor, like TRBT, uh, in your, in urology surgery, a potential complication of the procedure is bladder rupture or injury secondary to adductor muscle contraction from obturator nerve stimulation. Um, and basically the patient will present in the question stem as, as kicking a bit and it uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, um, to if you're not, if you don't remember that there is obturator innervation there.
0: Yeah. Great. All right. And any other questions you think might be, uh, might come up around this?
2: Yeah. So the other questions uh, surrounding this um, focus on your knowledge of anatomy. And so it can often be used as a distractor. Um, if you have an uh, injection into the inguinal crease, um, they want to know that you understand that ilio-inguinal, iliohypogastric and pedendal nerves run there and that they're involved. They'll throw in that three-in-one block. Uh, because if you know the lumbar plexus and uh, comes through the psoas and then divides up in, into those lateral femoral cutaneous, obturator, and femoral, you may say, "Well, okay, that's that's the answer." And that's that's not the case. Again, the three-in-one block uh, um, is a little—you know—that concept is fantastic, but uh, probably not great in practice. So the anatomy questions can come from there.
0: Great. All right. Well, this has been fantastic, uh, and I think we've now arrived at the part of our show where we make our random recommendations. Kara?
1: Well, I recommend, since it's October, that everybody go to a pumpkin patch and get lost in a corn maze and have lots of um, apple cider donuts or something. Oh,
0: that is so much fun. We take our kids every year. It's always a blast. Um, I second that. Hassan, how about you?
2: Well, I'll I'll third that one. Uh, My two-year-old picks up pumpkins that are about the size of her head. (laughs) Um, and they have a great – kids have a great time. Um, uh, I've been listening to uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Talking to Strangers. I find it really interesting. I was about to say fascinating, but I can't take Jed's uh, word. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I think it's a good listen um, and just going through different points in history that uh, – seen through a very different sort of lens. And uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to change my day-to-day routine with it, but – um, it's just really interesting and, and uh, a good listen.
0: I totally agree. I was going to say the same thing. Uh, I will I will come with another one, but I, I want to just second that. I, I f- I'm in the middle of it right now talking to strangers. It's, it's really fascinating and I think it makes you think about the way we interact with people, the way we talk to them and listen to them and what we believe and what we don't. Um, I think it's really interesting. I'll, I'll add a couple of quick things. One is that um, – Malcolm Gladwell was interviewed by Oprah about the book, and that – at least a snippet of that interview is available on the um, feed for his uh, Revisionist History podcast, so you can hear it there if you want. I'm sure you could probably find the whole thing on Oprah's site, um, but very interesting kind of discussion about that book. And the other thing is that the audiobook version is actually not your typical audiobook, so usually an audiobook is somebody reading the book on tape. Mm And that is not what he's done here. Malcolm Gladwell himself reads it, but instead of reading the text of the interviews, as you would if you were just reading a book, when he does an interview with someone uh, that he writes about in the book, he actually plays you that uh, audio. Uh, so you hear from the people that he interviewed. So it's almost like a really, really long podcast episode. Yeah. And – uh d- I'll
2: add to that. Uh, it has a really unique effect in that the whole book is about how you understand people. And then you're listening to him interview people and then think about your assumptions of, oh, I think that guy's very trustworthy. He's very
0: folksy. I like that accent. Right. And then you immediately snap back in and go, oh, right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's the point of this book. Totally. It's really interesting and I think really well done. Um, and then I will say uh, as an additional random recommendation that um, – There is a Slate podcast called What Next? So this is from Slate, uh, the Slate group, and it's really nice. It's a daily Monday through Friday podcast, and it's a news podcast. What they do is they pick one topic in the news each day, and they do about – 15 to 20 minutes on it. It's kind of delving deep, but it's not, you know, an hour long. So you kind of get the highlights of an interesting issue. Sometimes it's like the big headline issue, like that you may be, you know, reading about all the time in the newspaper, but sometimes it's something that, you know, maybe you didn't hear about, but then they delve in and give you the background, do a couple interviews. And so I find it really a nice way to get a a nice snippet of news uh, during a commute or something like that. So what next from Slate? Remember, you can send in listener recommendations by tweeting at us at ACRAC podcast or at Jay Woolpaw or by emailing them on in uh, and we will put them on the air. All right. So this has been great. Thank you both so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Thank Happy you, Jed.
0: All right. That was great. Another fantastic regional podcast. Let us know what you thought. Either go to the website, ACRAC.com, where you can leave a comment. Others can read what you have to say, or you can join the conversation on Twitter. You can follow us at at Akrak podcast. You can follow me at at Jay Walpaw. You can also join the Facebook group and take part in the conversation there. If you're a fan of the show, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a comment and a rating. It really helps others find the show. And even if you've already done it, if it's been a little while, you can go back and leave another. That also helps people find the show. If you are interested in supporting the making of the show, please consider going to Patreon dot com slash acrac. That's p a t r e o n dot com slash a c c r a c, where you can become a patron of the show. Even if it's just a dollar or two that you pledge, it makes a big difference, and we really appreciate it. And, of course, you can also make a donation anytime by going to paypal.me slash Thank you so much to those who have already become patrons and made donations. We really appreciate it. A big thank you, as always, to Brian Park for making the outlines that appear on some of the shows. And, of course, to Kimia Kashkuli, our fantastic ACRAC intern. She's been doing an amazing job with the social media and helping prepare some of the really great interviews we've done recently. Original ACRAC music is by the one and only Dr. Dennis Quo. Check out his website at studymusicproject.com. All right, that is it for today for the ACRAC podcast and Doctors Kara Segna and Hassan Reyes. Thanks for listening. I'm Jed Wolpaw. Remember what you're doing out there every day